I just love that jazzed up version of What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Such a beloved song by so many. I wonder if the minister who first penned the lyrics as a gift to his mother has any idea how many people have felt comforted by his simple gift. Joseph Scriven, its lyrical author, was living in Canada in the late 1900s, and his mother was back in Ireland. And in offering her comfort through his gift of poetry, he has gifted so many others. I am Reverend Dr. Candace Bist, and along with my husband, Bruce Lee, we serve the Shelburne Primrose Pastoral Charge in Southern Ontario. And in serving, we are always delighted when we watch others live out their faith in small, mostly unseen ways, in gifts of kindness and generosity of spirit. And this is what is known in a more formal way as embodied spirituality. And it is at the heart of the Christian faith and all other intentions that desire to live in the awareness that we are intimately connected one to the other. In the Christian faith, we cluster around a person, Jesus of Nazareth, rather than, say, a book or a set of laws or a particular practice. Personhood, people, are important in our faith, for it is here we see the divine and the human working together. Last week in chatting, I mentioned that Bruce and I had watched a certain movie. And Jill asked me where we go to watch our movies, how we choose them. Great question. We choose them through conversation, really, with others who recommend something as worthwhile to view, through reviews we might read, through a title that just seems to call to us. What we watch on our screens matters. And it matters to take a little time to find out what you are putting into your minds. I've always thought it strange that there are Christian bookstores or Christian movies or Christian radio stations. <clears throat> all stores are Christian if a Christian walks into them. And all movies have spirituality to share if we will look for it with intention there is no need to separate out anything or to put a special stamp on it. It is we, with our thinking minds and our intuition and our ongoing conversation with the divine, it is we who take our spirituality with us wherever we go and make our decisions from there. And Alyssa, in chatting, furthered this conversation by her clear decision to live not through books and education, though she acknowledges they have both offered her consolation over the years, but through embodied spirituality, through living in a state of awareness every day. If you want to see her put this into practice, by the way, she is hosting an open-air yoga and meditation practice in my orchard next Thursday. The details are on our website. Teresa Avivilla understood the Christian importance of embodied spirituality well. In 16th century Spain, convents were little more than high-end finishing schools for noble women who did not marry. A woman of noble birth herself, 
Teresa felt this did not reflect the intention within her Christian faith and founded the Carmelite Reform, which restored contemplation and simple devotional living to the order. You may remember that we closed our podcast two weeks ago with her well-known meditation, Christ has no body now but yours, a sentiment that was central to all her writings and teachings. Teresa's meditation provides the lyric for our hymn of invocation that is done in the Taze fashion, which is a way of singing and praying a verse repetitively. This modern interpretation of an ancient form of chanting comes to us from the wonderful Taze community in France. Here, over a hundred thousand young people gather every year to refresh their spirits. The community was founded by Brother Roger, a Swiss Protestant monastic brother who wanted to offer a welcome to the stranger, to the traveler, and also to offer refreshment and hope to the many people who had been devastated by the Second World War. Taze is an ecumenical community rooted in contemplation, prayer, and manual labor. Their way of singing and praying reflects the simplicity of their spirituality and their focus on love. What movies we watch, what books we read, what poems we share, what spiritual communities we hold as valuable, these are all choices we make through the lens of our own personal spirituality. We are free to choose however we wish. But if it is a life of freedom, a joyous life, a life of service to others we wish to have, then hopefully we will choose always with the Divine Spirit as our guide and in a community of friends who support our wise choices. When we choose to serve others, we are then part of the mystical body of Christ, anointed for the purpose at hand, gifted with courage and inspiration for the work that needs to be done. Yours are the feet with which he walks 
I would hope to be able to corner the elusive and somewhat socially awkward Simon Vey for a little chat. This, of course, is all in my imagination, Simon Vey having died before the end of the Second World War, along with many of my favorite thinkers. Simon Vey modeled embodied spirituality. She lived what she thought. She tested out her theories of socialism not in cafes with other philosophers, but on the working floors of the Renault factories and on fishing boats and in mining towns where she taught the impoverished children and their parents. Simone grew up in a secular Jewish household. A spiritual genius, she lived only 32 years, pushing her body past what it was capable of in her search to know God She had a marvelous experience in her late 20s, which she will describe only in these words. Christ came down and took hold of me. Simone lived in France in the space between the two world wars. She had great friends in the Catholic Church and was close to several priests of note. In her time and place, becoming part of the Catholic tradition would have seemed an obvious choice given her extraordinary experience, but she refused to do so. And her reasoning has always made me love her. She wrote that she would always remain at the intersection of Christianity and all that was not Christianity because she believed that the deep truths within the Catholic Church did not point towards a select group of people, but outwards to a universal and non-exclusive knowing of truth. Simone Weil did not want to join the Church because she did not want to be separated from those who were in the world 
but not in the church. She remained at the intersection of where she had been all her life, Jewish by birth, but at the crossroads of Christianity and all that was not Christianity, for only there could she hold her arms open to the world in full embrace, her head tilted towards the heavens, her feet rooted in the everyday struggles of life, which is, of course, the posture of the cross. It is a piece of Simone Weil's writing that is our call to worship. And coming back to the flat screen and how we choose what to watch, my daughter Madeline had told me that she just loved watching Anne with an E, a modern remake of the Anne of Green Gables story. She told me that watching it was like going to church, so I thought I'd have a peek, and she was right. It is church right there on the screen. And in the first program, there is a marvelous scene where Anne is taught to say her prayers before bedtime. This is a new idea for her, never having been taught the ritual of evening prayers in the orphanage from which she came. She is alarmed at the whole idea. And when instructed to kneel down, she responds, Why must people kneel down? If I really wanted to pray, I'd tell you what I would do. I'd go out into a great big field all alone or into the deep, deep woods, and I'd look up into the sky, up, up, up into that lovely blue sky without end, and I would just feel a prayer. Marilla, who is teaching her, is at a loss, but her instructions are clear. Just thank God for your blessings and ask him humbly for the things that you want. So with Anne's bedtime prayer as our guide, our opening prayer is a kind of bidding prayer that we will do together. In the legend of the Grail, the keeper of this miraculous vessel is a king paralyzed by a most painful wound. And there it is said that the grail shall belong to the first person who asks this king the question, what are you going through? The love of our neighbor in all its fullness simply means being able to say to them, what are you going through? It is a recognition that the sufferer exists, not only as a unit in a collection or a specimen from the social category labeled unfortunate, but as a person exactly like us, who was one day stamped with a special mark of affliction. For this recognition to occur, it is enough, but it is indispensable to know how to look at them in a certain way. This way of looking is, first of all, attentive. The soul empties itself of all its own contents in order to receive into itself the being it is looking at just as they are, 
in all their truth. I invite you to pray with me and to fill in your own thoughts in our space. Gracious Heavenly Father, that's what the minister says in church, so I guess it's okay for private prayer. I am so thankful for the beautiful weather, the great storms, the astonishment of watching the little seedlings of spring burst forth in such extravagance. There is so much for sharing. What are you thankful for? I am concerned about those who are alone, those who feel left out, those who do not have an advocate to help them through these uneven times. What are you concerned about? I need help being courageous, constant in my affection, and calm and clear. What do you need help with? For all that we are grateful for, for all that we are concerned about, for all that we need help with, for the things we understand and the things we have yet to comprehend, we give thanks to you above all else. Amen means, may it be so, so we say, Amen, and may it be so. to bear What a privilege to carry Everything to God in prayer Oh, what peace we often forfeit Oh, what needless pain we bear Because we do not carry Everything to God in prayer Jesus loves me, this I know Little ones to him belong. They are weak, 
he is strong yes jesus loves me yes jesus loves me yes jesus loves me the bible tells me so Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. Patiently, Jesus is waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? should never be discouraged take it to the Lord in prayer can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share Jesus knows our every weakness Get to the Lord in prayer. Our first scripture reading is from the Book of Wisdom, or the Wisdom of Solomon, as it is sometimes known. This book in the Protestant tradition is one of seven books or chapters that are part of the Apocrypha. Apocrypha means hidden. Though this book is acknowledged by both the Jewish and the Catholic faiths as part of the wisdom tradition in Scripture, it does not hold the same place in the Reformed tradition, designated as being outside the doctrinal canon. And yet, it is recommended as valuable reading for those wishing to know about righteous living, and readings from it are included in our yearly lectionary. The books in the Apocrypha are thought to have been written between 200 B.C. and 400 A.D. They are usually located in a Bible, if they are included, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Thomas Aquinas, who would have known this book well, asks the question, Where is God? And his answer, Everywhere. God is in all things, in essence, presence, and power, most intimately so. And so too says the Book of Wisdom. 
I am reading from chapter 1, verses 1 to 5 and 10 to 12. I read it simply as a meditation on our theme of embodied spirituality. Love righteousness, you rulers of the earth. Think of the Lord in goodness and seek him with sincerity of heart. Because God is found by those who do not put the divine spirit to the test and manifests to those who do not distrust. For perverse thoughts separate people from God, and when God's power is tested, it exposes the foolish, because wisdom will never enter a deceitful soul or dwell in a body enslaved to sin. For a holy and disciplined spirit will flee from deceit and will leave foolish thoughts behind and will be ashamed at the approach of unrighteousness because a jealous ear hears all things and the sound of grumbling does not go unheard. Beware then of useless grumbling and keep your tongue from slander because no secret word is without result and a lying mouth destroys the soul. Do not invite death by the error of your life or bring on destruction by the works of your hands. You may note from this scripture that though it is true that we can be the body of Christ here on earth and are called to do so, it is also true that we can, with the same hands and feet, wreak havoc in the world. It is always a choice how we will use our time, how we will use our energy to bring about the kingdom of heaven or to leave it to flounder as a place where goodness is not the highest order. We continue our stroll through the parables with a reading of what is known as the parable of the unforgiving servant, and so he is. Here it is as told in the book of Matthew, chapter 18. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him, and as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children, and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of the slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him by the throat and said, Pay what you owe. 
Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he could pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart. In a parable, as in a good joke or a dire pronouncement, exaggeration is a tool to make a point. And the parable is preceded by Jesus' response to Peter that we are to forgive our neighbor 77 times, a bold statement which essentially says that forgiveness is always to be given. That is difficult to accept while we live in a society of three strikes and you're out. It would seem we are more enamored with baseball than the heralding in of the kingdom of heaven. We are to forgive always. Goodness, that's a tall order. But then there is the parable itself. And note again, it begins with, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, and then a story gets told. The kingdom of heaven is about people and how they are with one another and how God is with them. It is about the flow between the divine heart and the human heart. Jesus also knows his audience, as do all good storytellers. And he knows that they are well aware that kings or high-up leaders have highly paid servants who do their bidding for them. In our case, we might think of a person of great wealth who has a number of CEOs or wealth investment specialists looking after various aspects of their fortune. In this case, the servant owes the king 10,000 talents. That is a seriously large amount of money. And all the people listening to this story back in the time of Jesus would have been staggered by that figure. A talent is a measurement of weight, usually calculated in silver. One talent was equivalent to about 15 years of wages for a typical worker. So the king is owed about 150,000 years worth of income of a single ordinary person, or you might say 3,000 financial life sentences. But the king, having compassion on his servant, waves aside all that money, an enormous amount, for the sake of one single person's freedom. This is the economy of the kingdom of God. A person is infinitely more important than money. In a moment, a single person is free from debt and sin because they are precious in God's eyes. 
the kingdom of God, is extravagantly generous, interested in the intimate affairs of each individual, and it has its own economy, which the world does not understand. And clearly, the servant in question does not understand. One would have hoped the servant, having received this wonderful gift of generosity, would then continue the flow of love he has received, but he does not. The servant is owed a hundred denarii. There are 5,475 denarii in a talent. So, in other words, to put the comparative equation simply, in the eyes of the servant, a hundred coins are more precious than the life of another human being. In the eyes of the king, 54,750,000 coins the equivalent value of 10,000 talents in denarii, are nothing to be considered next to the fate of a single person. Forgiveness, as laid out in this parable, is extravagant in the extreme and more precious by far than the wages of misdeeds. But forgiveness, as told in this parable, is also reciprocal and reliant. You cannot receive it without giving it, as we repeat often in our most beloved of prayers. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others that trespass against us. Being forgiven, we are to then forgive others in equal measure. And as the forgiveness offered us is great, then too, ours to others must also be great. Forgiveness is not offered on limited terms. When we limit, we end the flow of love which is intended to be offered. Earlier I pointed out that with our hands and feet we may embody the mystical presence of Christ, or we may not. And this is the great sadness in this parable. The unforgiving servant stops the flow that ushers in the kingdom of heaven. He jams the brakes on in his wonderful adventure that might move out into the community like a kind of mystical fog, allowing for forgiveness to flow over the countryside and heal and uplift and free so many. But he stops its movement He does not don the mantle of Christ. He works against the kingdom of God. And we do that also. Look around. Note how you have seen this happen in your own community, in your church, in your family. We who have been given so much, do we extend this extravagant understanding of the immense value of human life to others? Or do we count monetary values higher than human life? In movies, in books, in concerts, in television programs, in posters, in advertisements, everywhere you can see this story if you look. This is another aspect of the spiritual practice of awareness. 
Look out this week and see where a person is valued and where we have valued money more. Do we purchase clothes made from countries where the salaries of its workers do not allow for a proper living wage? Why? So we can have cheaper clothes? In doing so, we have stopped the flow of the kingdom of heaven. Do we insist on continuing to ruin the ecology of the world because we want to travel when and where and how we want? Is our desire more important than the lives of all the others on this earth? Where do we place our values? With what kind of awareness do we make our decisions? This parable is not to stop us from living lovely and rich lives, but it is to bring to our attention that as we live our lives, so others must live theirs. And to be custodians of the kingdom of heaven, our hearts must reflect the divine heart. One of the reasons community is important in the spiritual life is so that you have companions around you that will help you with right decisions, friends that will steer you clear of the cliffs towards which you are headed with a reminder that you are going in the wrong way, that you, like the unforgiving servant, are not living from a place of gratitude but from a place of self-focus. If they are a true friend, they will not travel down that road with you, but wait for you at the crossroads until you have come back to your own self. If they are a true friend, they will not accompany you when you decide not to follow the pathway to the kingdom of heaven.
drivers and traffic fans. Just a couple of notes for this week. This Tuesday is the last gathering for our study on practicing compassion at our home. 7 p.m. in the evening, social distancing is observed, of course, and everyone is welcome. After this Tuesday, we will resume gathering in September. Anne and Jamie McAlpine and I will be at Trinity United Church tomorrow from 11 a.m. to noon, that's August 2nd, for anyone who is wanting to bring their monthly tithes in person. I will also be there from 9 a.m. if you would like to chat outside or in private in the You Belong Here room. We will be taking photographs tomorrow as well. Yesterday, August 1st, was the 50th wedding anniversary for Bernice and John Cunningham, a day of wonderful celebration. And it is also a day that the United Church of Canada draws our attention to the celebration of the end of slavery in Canada in 1834. This was the day the Slavery Abolition Act came into effect, ending slavery throughout most of the British Empire, including in the colonies that would become Canada. It is estimated that on that day, 800,000 enslaved black people were freed. It had become illegal for anyone to have a slave in the British Empire. And as part of our participation in the Black Lives Matter protests, the United Church encourages you to consider this special Memorial Day. There are several resources on our website to help you understand these matters. I'm going to close with Naomi Shahib Nye's poem on kindness. She notes that kindness becomes the more automatic response when we have come through a period of suffering ourselves. As the entire world has been going through this time of suffering and uncertainty, it may be that we will come at last to see the great importance of kindness. Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet, no voice but yours. Be the body of Christ. Be the hands and the feet and the voice of anointing, bringing healing wherever you travel and ushering in the kingdom of God with small acts of kindness and extravagant acts of generosity. Kindness. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. 
Feel the future dissolve in a moment, like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride, thinking the bus will never stop, the passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside you, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then, it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to gaze at bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend.